With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. The conversation continues with Brian McLean and Steve Hook at State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome to State of the Nation. We are live on today's News Talk TNT. I'm Brian McLean, and I am here with Steve Hook. Steve, welcome to State of the Nation. Well, it's good to be back with you, Hash. Big, big show. Enjoyed your hit with uh, Tyler Nixon, by the way. Very nice. Yeah, really fun. I got to talk about myself a lot. So thanks, Tyler. Thanks for having <laughs> me. If you missed that, that'll be in the episodes archive right up here at TNTradio.live. That's our website. Hop on over there. Get in the interactive live chat room. Tell everyone there I said hi. I'm not in there today, but uh, I hope you folks are having fun in there. Now, um, Steve, this is it. It's the 21st today. So as we know, uh, last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for yesterday and today at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he'll be extradited to the United States. And TNT is there at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire event. So I hope you're uh, enjoying that and uh, participating and watching and sharing it because uh, there's some great broadcasting that we're doing over there in London. Um, and TNT, of course, uh, broadcasting from various locations throughout London. And you're going to want to check out the Trust Fall, Julian Assange. Definitely go and check that out. Uh, there's a website for that, so just search for it on the web, TNT, Lighting the Fuse for Freedom, as we do. Now, Steve, did you hear the story about James Biden uh, on Capitol Hill today to testify in uh, Joe Biden impeachment inquiry behind closed doors? Isn't this interesting? So James Biden is expected to testify in the impeachment inquiry against his older brother, President Biden, and uh, his brother arrived on Capitol Hill for the hearing uh, this morning. And um, I don't know, I haven't seen a transcription or anything like that yet, but uh, this is to do with repayment of loans. Uh, Jim Biden, James Biden also referred to as Jim sometimes, has been subpoenaed, uh, that was in November, to appear for a deposition as part of the impeachment inquiry. Um, so what do you think about this one, Steve? This is kind of interesting. Well, you know, when I think about it, what I what I typically do is I I don't really focus so much on the transcript and what was said. I look at the response of the people that were in the meeting, specifically the response of the Democrats. And they're basically saying Raskin came out and said, oh, well, it's time for Comer and company to fold up the circus tent poles and, and let's move on with governing our country, which tells me that Jamie Raskin is scared to death of what he heard in there. And they should be. Because James Biden, Jimmy, Jimmy, but little Jimmy Biden, who looks exactly like his brother 10 years earlier, it must be said, yeah. but uh, yeah. he certainly seems a little bit more cognitively there. Um, he's got a lot of explaining to do, and he did a lot of it today. I guess we're going to find out how it went a little bit later. These things tend to get kind of leaked out. But as I mentioned, the Democrats uh, were very much like, oh, there was nothing to see here, whereas Comer and the rest of them are like going, oh. There's an awful lot to see here. And if we're honest, we know damn good and well there's a lot to see there. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Comer said Comer says the committee has learned through this investigation that the Biden family and their business associates, I just have to read this part out because I think we know, but I mean it's worth repeating 
every day. Uh, yep. the, their business, the Biden family and their business associates brought in more than $24 million in a five-year span between 2014 and 2019 by, quote, selling Joe Biden as the brand around the world, end quote. So, quote within a quote, the brand there, $24 million. It's not peanuts. It's not something that uh, the Democrats or anyone should just be like, oh, we just need to get back to doing the business of governing because you're not doing a very good job of that anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Boy, truer words were never spoken. I, I think that the, the, the thing is, is, you know, th- th- so many people have talked about not just the Biden corruption, but the corruption within the Beltway in general. Uh, God, Peter Schweitzer has made a cottage industry off of it with all of his books. He's got a new one coming out, by the way, called Blood Money, that apparently he's got a whole bunch of people inside the Beltway very, very nervous, uh, including names we've heard before. Mitt Romney uh, uh, is in there. Hillary Clinton is in there. The Clinton, the entire Clinton family basically is in there, not to mention, of course, Obama and uh, and, and Joe and James and Hunter uh, and all of that and Ashley Biden, all of the Bidens are in there. But so, too, are people like Mitt Romney. Um, so, I mean, uh, I, I beg your pardon, Mitch McConnell. Uh, both of them are actually in there. So I, I just think that it's so corrupt. And and I think that what we've seen, I, what you know what pisses me off, Hesh, more than anything in the world, is that we have allowed this country to become so abjectly corrupt inside the Beltway because so many people have taken this, I don't want to discuss politics position. And when you take that attitude, uh, don't be at all surprised if the government takes advantage of you taking that attitude. And I think that's what's happened here. And I think that the Biden crime family is just an absolute, you know, a red flag. And, and a, you know, that that's that's a, a sure sign of what's going on. They're corrupt yeah. as hell. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely, apparently. Here, here. The old adage weighs true. Hey, for a complete list of shows and our schedule offered at TNT Radio, simply visit our website, tntradio.live. We serve up the latest live news and current affairs presented by a host of credible and expert commentators who can separate fact from fiction and truth from propaganda. And we'll keep you in the loop here at today's News Talk TNT. Connecting the dots, painting the bigger picture. They always have great conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, breaking news as we roll into State of the Nation today. Trump reveals his VP shortlist, and it includes DeSantis, Scott, Ramaswamy, Noam, Donalds, and Tulsi Gabbard. Joining us now to discuss is our friend, our colleague, Timothy Shea from The Reckoning right here at today's News Talk TNT. Timbo, welcome back to State of the Nation. Great to see you. Uh, this popped up. I had to change my lead in just so that we could talk about this because I want to hear what you have to say about this. Well, let's go back in history a little bit. 2015, 2016. I was originally supporting Scott Walker and then Ted Cruz. I wasn't one of the people that was with Donald Trump from the elevator. Now, Politically, in terms of positions, I absolutely was. I loved everything Trump said at the escalator. And it's not that I distrusted him. It's just that I didn't have any basis on which I could trust him, right? He'd never held office. He'd never done anything in the political realm. And we have been sold so many bills of goods over the years and forced to vote for so many pigs and so many pokes that I was going with somebody who had a record, 
first Scott Walker, then Ted Cruz. But when the president got the nomination, great. Okay, But you know where Trump won me over? He won me over in June of 2017. Now, we'd already seen a series of bad judgment by his political appointees, Mike Flynn, going into a meeting with James Comey without an attorney. Uh, James is a good Republican. It's okay. And people telling the president, oh, you know, Chris Ray will be a great FBI director. And the president learned that you can't even trust your own party leaders in Washington, right? Because who stabbed Donald Trump in the back? It was Paul Ryan. It was Mitch McConnell. And it was the RNC. But in June of 2017, I noticed something. We'd had several Twitter contratants, mean tweets, mean tweets. Oh, he mean tweeted. He tweeted about Rosie. He tweeted about this. In June, I saw a story on a Monday about an executive order that he had signed on a Friday. And my memory not being that bad, I remembered that on Friday, there had been a Twitter contretemps over mean tweets. The media was all abuzz over Trump's mean tweet. And I realized that what Donald Trump was doing was he was tweeting with his right hand while his left hand was signing legislation, executive orders and whatnot that was important for the American people and more importantly, the America First agenda. I think the same thing is going on here. The key word in that headline is includes. It's not Trump's short list is Scott, Gabbard, DeSantis, etc. It's that Trump's short list includes. I'm likening this to an associate producer credit on a Hollywood movie. Oh, oh yeah, sure. We'll give you producer credit. Associate producer credit means nothing, right? And it's that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're on they're on the short list. Yeah, they're on the short list. And uh, <laughs> I don't think that Trump's vice president is going to be any of the names released today. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. But I, I'm still holding out hope, certainly, that it's Sarah Huckabee Sanders or Josh Hawley or someone like them that has shown a commitment to the America First agenda and, more importantly, to the American people. Yeah, I you know I, I watched the uh, the town hall last night that Laura Ingram uh, had with Trump, and that's really where this li list came from. And it's important to point out, Trump did not list those people; she read right. those people's names to him, and he goes, "Yeah, those are all good people." Uh, that's what I'm saying. Even, that's what I'm yeah, saying. So, it's like, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Like we'll give you we'll that give list. your producer credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're on the list. They're exactly the right. List. I would say though that I, I I don't know if I agree with you that that, that the name wasn't on the list because I'm really starting to feel that him and Tim Scott they have been uh, they have been uh, bosom buddies for the last month or so. Tim Scott's been showing up at all the rallies, so Tim Scott's there. But you know, even if they're not, uh, if it's not Tim Scott, or if it's not Tulsi Gabbard, or if it's not Kirsty Noem. Um, I, I, it's not going to be Ron DeSantis. I mean, that, that's just, that's not going to happen, but those names are still very much in the running for cabinet positions. And right. I would like to see some of those names in the cabinet. 
And, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders would be great as a VP. I agree with you there. But she's doing pretty good things uh, right now where she's great at. Great things in Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah and, and I think that she I – don't, I don't know that that phone call is going to be made. I, I do – but I do agree with you. I, I, that's a great great way of putting it, too, that you get associated – you're going to be the best boy. You're going to be the yeah. key grip. No, gonna- <laughs> no, Steve. The best boy actually does something in the movie. The best well, boy that's is true. extremely important. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, then, um, at, at any rate, so it, it's looking pretty good. But here's the thing, Tim. Let me ask you this. I I am very fearful of the shenanigans that the Democrats are going to pull. Yes. I don't know what Hesh and I were talking about it yesterday. I don't know if it's going to be some black swan event that happens. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be. But I know they're very nervous about Joe Biden. Joe Biden's numbers are absolutely cratering. Nikki Haley's going around saying, I'm going to stay in it even if I lose because there's only been four uh, four contests, really, and the U.S. Virgin Islands doesn't really count, blah, blah, blah. She's running her mouth as if she's the only one that can beat Biden. But no Trump supporter is going to vote for her. So that takes her out of the running. What right. do you think the Democrats have in store? Is it going to be a parachute in of Gavin Newsom? Is it going to be Hillary Clinton coming back to the uh, party? Um I'm nervous about what they plan on doing because I don't think Joe's going to be the horse they ride out on. I I don't either. I called that on January 20th, 2021. I will say that I'm the wrong person to ask because I still think it was political malpractice for the DNC not to parachute in Gavin Newsom or even Hillary in late after the convention in late uh, 2020, because Joe was clearly failing then. He was running a, an abysmal campaign. And I think that if they had parachuted in uh, Newsom or Hillary then, uh, the race would have been a, a dead certainty for um, the Democrats. As it turns out, they were cheating enough. But, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Referencing your earlier point, you're exactly correct. It goes back to ancient Athens. Pericles said, if you don't take an interest in politics, you can rest assured that politics will take an interest in you. So this is something that's been going on at at least 2,500 years. And with regard to the corruption and the election shenanigans, in the 1970s, it was said that Republicans had to win by a plus four margin in order to win the race, given all of the union activity in the major cities. And now that's only a plus five. It's only moved from a plus four to a plus five. So you know how they always, women would always say, we have to do twice the work to get the same credit, you know, twice the work to get half the pay of men, or we got to do twice, work twice as hard to get the same credit as men. Well, that's been the Republican party. We've got to win by a 54, 55 point uh, margin or, you know, get 55, 54, 55% of the total vote in order to win 50.1, uh, to 49.9. So shenanigans have always gone on. That's why I still think the number one issue facing the country is securing our border. Uh, but even more important than that, the number one issue is securing our elections, because until we have secure elections, We don't know if the people that are in office are actually expressing the will of the people. And until we can get people in office that are expressing the will of we, the people, you can rest assured that our border will not be shut down. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. All right, Timbo, thank you so much for joining us today. We want to make sure that you go and watch The Reckoning with Timothy Shea. That is Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern time right here at today's News Talk. Timbo, we'll talk to you again real soon, and we'll be tuning in for your show tonight. Looking forward to it. Thanks, gentlemen. All right, this is State of the Nation on today's News Talk TNT. TNT's Alex Zaharoff Royd. Now, we'll no doubt see many more such efforts arriving from all the major AI players, and it won't be long before some kid or anyone in their basement or bedroom is creating the next big TV or movie hit, disrupting TV and movie studios forever. Yes, direction and production will be issues, and there will be many amateurish attempts, but people won't just be making hit music at home anymore, but hit entertainment all simply by asking AI models the right questions and then editing it all together. Talking Tech with Alex Zaharoff-Royd on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine, and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. CO2 sustains all life on Earth, but now it's in long-term decline. We face the return of an ice age. We mandate that the truth be told. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, well, here at TNT, we've been covering the Julian Assange case very closely, as you know. Many of our UK hosts actually were set up doing live broadcast mere steps away from the UK High Court these past two days. Word from inside the court is that there were a lot of tech issues regarding the media not being granted access to the actual courtroom. Apparently, the way this worked was they put the court and the proceedings in one room, and all the media had to gather in other rooms that were adjacent to the actual courtroom. And tech issues happened. In some cases, the video was garbled. In many cases, they had no sound at all. Just a whole plethora of issues. Seems a little bit funny, doesn't it? Well, today was day two of the Assange last-ditch effort to avoid extradition to the USA, and there's been some very vocal crowds outside, including, like we said, TNT Broadcasting has been out there as well. But this fight is really more than Julian Assange. This is the very essence of freedom that this case represents, and, 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 and rallying around the cause of liberty. Liberty, of course, is worth fighting for, and we at TNT are very proud to join in that fight. But the question now facing us is what's going to happen to Julian Assange? For that matter, what's going to happen to genuine freedom? Joining us to dive into this very disturbing case is the president of Silent Partner. He's a real fighter for human rights, whistleblowers, and he loves to expose corruption, which we love. Trevor Fitzgibbons is our guest. Trevor, thank you for being on State of the Nation. Uh, we know you've been watching this Julian Assange case and I'm loving all the support that he's getting from the people in the UK and, frankly, here in the US as well. But I've got a pretty bad feeling about this. What do you think? Um, yeah, it's, it's it's outrageous. You know, I, I did the PR, it handled the media in the United States for Julian for a number of years, um, uh, and uh, as well as Chelsea Manning and, and worked with Glenn Greenwald to get out the Snowden disclosures. Um, you know, I, I don't have a good feeling about it at all. And, and you know, the, what's worse is that, um, 
you know, the the Biden administration, I mean, these these folks like literally they don't seem to care much about optics or whether or not the United States, which has always been considered kind of a beacon of light globally for democracy and justice is if, if they go forward with this case and this prosecution and if Julian dies, right, the United States, this will be a historic moment because I think the reputation of the United States globally will be uh will be in in tatters um i think it's despicable what's happening and the idea that uh the united states is going to use an american law which normally goes to prosecute you know the espionage act goes to prosecute americans the idea that they're applying it to uh, a journalist a foreign journalist at that uh extraditing him here to the united states where you know, there's a very good chance they're going to claim he's an American now. We can now stack on more charges against him, including treason. The idea that they'll prosecute him that way, uh, but not give him any First Amendment protections or any protections whatsoever, is is it is a sham. It's it's just a disgrace. So, uh, the U.S. the general public is sleepwalking um it they have been for quite some time uh you know you you have incredibly powerful information operations that that have are are in play in the united states uh and 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 a public that just doesn't quite seem to understand everything that the government's doing to it so it, it we're gonna have to set off some real alarm bells if he gets extradited which i i believe he will be very shortly yeah it's um that's that's our concern too and we're wondering what the outcry in the united states will look like you know um is it gonna look anything like it looks in the uk because i don't know i mean maybe you have a better sense of that is there a a, a larger um public awareness and support for julian assange in the uk than there is or perhaps will be in the united states or do we have an opportunity to amplify this message of you know freedom against tyranny here in the united states and maybe see some greater effect um you know i i, I think what you have in the uk and in australia is very different from what we have in the united states um you know the the there has been an active campaign in the uk and in australia for some time uh in the united states uh it's a much more crowded news cycle and there hasn't been the uh unfortunately there hasn't been a priority placed upon the united states in wanting to mobilize the public there's some fantastic organizations the assange defense campaign and 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 others that do do their best here in the u.s but there needs to be a major major effort to start uh you know ads television ads newspaper ad, like grassroots you know sounding the alarm uh if if the public wants to save julian um but again i just you know no one okay I, i'm a consultant work with whistleblowers but also work with presidential candidates right uh i would you know no political consultant worth their salt would tell the biden administration that taking on perhaps the biggest first amendment press freedom case in world history is something that he should be doing 
before a, a highly contested election. Just it's just no no brainer. Of course you wouldn't do that. I don't think these folks care. I don't think they care about optics. I think we're now living in a society in the U.S. and globally throughout the West. We see it with Ukraine. You see it with a number of other issues where the 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 general historical types of optics and political calculations are out the window. These guys are going to do whatever the hell they want. And right now, the administration is being run by a number of neocons that literally think they can get and do whatever they want, whenever they want. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we now see we have a justice system in the U.S. Um, that that pretty much goes along with it. Um, you know, the one the one point I want to make that that many people don't understand, but simultaneous to this case is another one. I'm representing uh, a number of uh, American attorneys as well as journalists uh, in the Southern District of New York have sued Mike Pompeo and the CIA for violating their Fourth Amendment rights when they went and visited Assange at the Ecuadorian embassy. When they go and visit Assange, their cell phones and computers would be taken. Happened to me all the time when I'd visit Julian. Um, but what we didn't realize and what they didn't understand was that not only were they being confiscated, you know, you know, taken while while he's in his meeting, but they were also not only under total surveillance during their meetings with Assange, right? With all the transcripts and the video and the audio going straight back to the CIA and Mike Pompeo. These are with his U.S. attorneys, right? Trying to help him with his case, right? Against extradition. But they also were taking the phones and the, and, and the computers and it, it's believed that they were seizing them, it's search and seizure, and they were taking these and they were literally downloading all the information on these computers and on all the cell phones of his attorneys. How can they have a fair trial if the government, right, that is trying to prosecute you has been in on the conversations and has seen all this? But again, I don't think they care, right? So... The judge in the Southern District of New York, you know, the CIA is likely going to come come back with a, a state secrets privilege to try to get this case dismissed. They've already tried to get it dismissed one time. The judge ruled against the CIA, in which is historic. And we are hoping that the judge also rules against the, the CIA's attempt to, to invoke the state secrets privilege act, um, which would be huge, right? And if the CIA is, is found to have violated the Fourth Amendment rights, right, and we have a good judge, if they are found to have violated the Fourth Amendment rights of Assange's U.S. attorneys, how in God's name can they move forward prosecuting this case? But I believe they'll probably find a way to, right? So it's, it's a farce. It's a sham. It's, I've never seen anything like it. All right. Well, listen, we're going uh, to take a real quick break. Uh, just for a, just for a headline, but we're going to come right back and continue where we picked up there, uh, where we left off there, Trevor. Neocons, yeah, neo-Marxist, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, what's going on here is straight up tyranny. Uh, our guest is uh, Trevor Fitzgibbon. We'll be back right after this uh, quick headline on State of the Nation on TNT. Now. 
TNT Radio News. I have huge news. Are you ready for it? Yeah! Do it! For TNT, this is James O'Neill. At a critical extradition hearing in London, U.S. government lawyers argued that criminal charges against Julian Assange were not politically motivated, but were due to his involvement in naming sources, encouraging theft and hacking. Tucker Carlson has claimed that American intelligence services, with the help of the New York Times, attempted to prevent him from interviewing Russian President Vladimir Putin. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Okay, uh, welcome back to State of the Nation. Our guest is Trevor Fitzgibbon, and we are talking about uh, all things Julian Assange today. But Trevor, as I mentioned in the in the intro, this is really bigger than Julian Assange. Julian Assange is what's staring us in the face right now. But what this comes down to, uh, and we all want the, what's best for him as an individual, but this comes down to straight up liberty and freedom. And I don't think that, I think I agree with you that a lot of people in the United States were more concerned with how many minutes uh, Taylor Swift is getting on the Super Bowl coverage than we are about what's going on uh, in the London High Court. It's it's really absurd that this uh, that our nation has been dumbed down like this. I don't think most people even know what Julian Assange did. You know, if you were to talk to the average guy or gal on the street and say, what do you think of Julian Assange? They wouldn't know who he was. And those that did know who he was would probably offer something like, well, I know that he was a treasonous bastard that released all kinds of state secrets, but that's not what he did. He didn't release those. Those secrets were sent to him. Those those emails and stuff that he he released were sent to him in his capacity as a journalist. And I just, I'm so disgusted by it all. And you mentioned Pompeo. See, I would have thought Pompeo was, was, was one of the good guys, but the thing that this case, (laughs) the thing that this case has taught all of us is there's a whole slew of bad guys from both sides of the aisle that would just as soon this man die in prison. You know, you're, you're totally right. And it's interesting. Um, when I first started working with Manning back in 2011, I would drive down to Quantico and and meet with her at at Quantico and and she was being held in a I think eight by twelve foot uh, uh, cell. She's being forced to strip naked every night in front of her her inmates, fellow inmates, uh, and the treatment was just despicable. Uh, and we made a lot of noise about that treatment. In fact, so much noise that that P.J. Crowley, who was then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's uh, spokesperson, was forced to resign because he was caught on uh, a hot mic talking about the military's treatment of Manning as being stupid and counterproductive. Um, you know, back then when, when we, we first came out WikiLeaks, you know, we, 2010, um, you know, you'd have Hannity and, and Bill O'Reilly call for Julian Assange's assass- assassination. Well, fast forward to 2016 when when WikiLeaks released the, the DNC leak, and it, it was a leak, it wasn't a hack. But when WikiLeaks released the, DN, the DNC emails, then you've got, you know, Hillary Clinton calling for Assange to be assassinated. Um, you know, as you know, Donald Trump always talked about how he loves WikiLeaks, right, throughout the campaign uh, when he ran against Hillary. Um, but you know, in, in, in talking about those emails, but it was his administration uh, that was plotting to not only uh, surveil Assange, 
but to uh, plotting to kidnap and assassinate Julian Assange. So, you know, when you're kind of, when you have no home, you know, Julian's home is freedom, but freedom doesn't have an organized constituency when it comes to political parties. And so it makes it very difficult, right, when you're kind of out there on an island on your own. And I think that's how he feels. And what, because, because no one wants you, no one will claim you, you know, WikiLeaks is an equal opportunity uh, exposer of facts and of truth on both sides. They don't care if it's Republican, Democrat, independent, Julian and WikiLeaks wants to get transparent, wants to have transparency and get the truth out. And so Julian right now is out on this island being attacked by everyone from Lindsey Graham, right, to President Biden, right? What we need to do as people who support freedom and this network, which leads the way and has done an amazing job, is we need to get everybody internationally who supports freedom to make noise in support of Assange, right? Make noise. Uh, Don't just make this a political issue in the U.S., although it is, right? It has to be an international issue. Um, The Hague, whatever, needs to get involved, right? We have to save this guy because if he gets prosecuted, it will be historic. And I think that the United States will regret what they what they will have done and i because i think that the the any type of semblance of 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 a reputation of of the saint george of all nations you know beacon of democracy and all that is out the window internationally we have no moral high ground whatsoever if we go through with this yeah there there's nothing comparable to this i'm i'm trying to look back and think about if there's, if there's something i can relate this to you know i think about maybe like uh german journalist oliver yannick getting uh extradited from uh wherever he was like the philippines or something like that but that was germany extraditing one of their own people this is right. we're talking about america talking about charging a foreign journalist with treason i mean how can a yeah. foreign journalist be charged with american treason it makes no sense Right. And I have a message for every American journalist. If the U.S. can prosecute a foreign publisher of publishing factual documents, right? No, then no U.S. journalist is safe. And apparently no foreign journalist is safe from the wrath of the U.S. government. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the the thing is, is it's such a multifaceted case? Because if you look at Julian Assange, and what he did, as you mentioned, I think you rightly pointed out how Lindsey Graham was saying, oh, he should be he should be uh, he should be unalived. And you had a lot of conservatives come out and saying this. And then rightly so, when he released the DNC papers, people like Hannity said, oh, wait a minute now he's doing a public service. So people will find the enemy they're looking for if they look long enough at Julian Assange. That's it. But, you know, but the thing is, is. All he did was report what was sent to him and given to him, and it was all factual. And if a reporter cannot wrap his or her brain around the fact that reporting facts could get you, what, it's been 14 years now, and they're still trying to extract. This guy has been in custody for the better part of 14 years, whether it was the Ecuadorian uh, embassy or whether it's in in London. I just, I, I can't understand why journalists aren't running around with their hair on fire on this story. 
And, and, and I, and I, yeah, I, so absolutely. And I also want to point out something really important that many people don't understand. It's not just Julian, right? Many WikiLeaks staff associates have been targeted by the U S government and by other governments. Jacob Applebaum who is Julian's number two is a brilliant mind. He's in Germany born and raised in the United States. He was targeted falsely accused of, of, of stuff he didn't commit. Um, uh, there have been uh, smears and attacks on Jen Robinson, Julian's attorney, one of Julian's attorneys, uh, on Kristen, the, 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 editor in chief, the editor right now, attacks, smears. Attempting to set people up online, there's been an operation that has been happening and going on for years now, I'd say up to six, seven years, to infiltrate WikiLeaks and to infiltrate it and destroy it and to destroy the character and reputation of many associates of WikiLeaks, including myself and others. Um, so this has been a multi-year operation. And I, I remember talking to Jacob about this uh, 2018, and we were talking about the operation against WikiLeaks. And what I had not realized is that the intelligence community's WikiLeaks task force, which is comprised of folks from the CIA, FBI, NSA, etc., is bigger than the U.S.'s Al Qaeda task force. Okay, <laughs> so they profile every staff member. They pro they have profiled Stella Julian's wife. I'm sure they profiled his kids. That is what they do. And they find out and they figure out a way to sow disinformation within the organization, online, a lot of Anons, many Anons that you see online, um, maybe used to be with Anonymous, but a lot of them flipped and got busted by the feds. And a lot of those folks pretend to be friends with WikiLeaks, but a lot of them are doing the bidding of the federal government right now of, of the U.S. security state. And so... Um, you know, for them, it was either go to jail or start working with the U.S. government. And many of them are working with the U.S. government. Um, yes. And it's a scary it's a scary time to be a WikiLeaks staffer, supporter. Uh, definitely a scary time to be Julian. But, um, you know, we have to fight back and we have to raise hell. And uh, that's what I encourage everybody to do. Contact your member of Congress. Ask your member of Congress to, to contact the Biden administration. Demand that the charges be dropped and Julian sent home. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you so much. You know, uh, it's it really this is huge. This is landmark. And, you know, what you point out here, I think one of the big takeaways for me personally in this is something I've been thinking about ever since uh, we were gifted the pandemic industrial complex and all that came with it. These people don't care about the optics. They don't care about being voted back in. They feel like they can do whatever they want. And, you know, I'm using words like these people and they, you know, some people say deep state, but what we're dealing with right here is something like we have never seen and it wields the power of technocracy uh, algorithms and everything you're pointing out right here once it focuses its light on you. So we have to fight back. So make those calls, send those emails, get involved. We appreciate that very much. And we appreciate you stopping in to join us here. Uh, Trevor Fitzgibbon, it was great. And I look forward to having you back on again real soon. Yeah. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's just at Trevor Fitzgib, G-I-B-B, -B, number one, one. 
a Trevor Fitzgib oh. one. All right, excellent. We'll amplify Thanks for your that work. for you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Trevor Fitzgibbon joining us right here on State of the Nation at today's News Talk TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The big question is, why does the United States and why does Australia apparently have leaders that wish to commit national suicide as far as energy goes? Check out these facts. The European Union has 468 coal plants. They're building 27 more. Turkey has 56, building 93 more. South Africa has 79 coal plants, building 24 more. India, 589, building 446. Philippines, 19, they're building 60 more. South Korea, 58 coal plants, building 26 more. Japan, 90 coal plants, building 45 more. But here is the coup de grace. Here is something that makes me wonder that given Hunter Biden had dealings with a Chinese energy corporation and a fossil fuel energy corporation at that, that these people that are actually in charge of the United States are not complicit in all this phony climate war scam stuff. China has 2,363 coal plants. They're building 1,171 more and not a peep out of the United States. What about Australia? You're going to shut down your six remaining plants. All this to save the world? Let me tell you something. What's going on is who's ever in charge of Australia and the United States trying to bring down their own country at the expense of China and the rest of the world. How else can you conclude anything else? This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. See, Smokey thinks I'm funny. Conversations about what matters the most. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Well, uh, do you know anyone that still uses a landline? They're out there, right? I mean, we all carry cell phones around, but, you know. Go to some people's houses, there's a landline. Well, more people who are still using telephone landlines will soon need to decide if they want to finally hang up on their service. Just last week, AT&T applied for a waiver that would allow it to stop servicing traditional landlines in California. AT&T and Verizon previously stated they wanted to be fully operational on newer infrastructure within the next few years. So what does this mean to those of you in California that still have a landline? I'd love to know. So joining us now to help break this down is Hugh Odom. He's rejoining us on the program. Of course, Hugh is a former AT&T attorney. He's got over 11 years experience there and the founder and president of Vertical Consultants. Hugh, welcome back to State of the Nation. Now, I got to tell you, I just moved my dad out of California and we got a letter right before he moved saying basically that your landline service may be going away soon. So What's behind this and what does it all mean? Any pros and cons you want to throw our way on this? Because Steve and I were trying to figure it out beforehand, and it's like, I can definitely think of some cons. Yeah. Well, just to let you know, it's amazing because what you said, you don't think of that many people having landlines, but 26% of all Americans still have a landline available to them. Over 100, 100 million landlines still exist. 
Mostly this is in rural areas that are outside the major areas where you have cell towers, et cetera, and they can't rely upon uh, wireless service. So what it means and what how to break this down really quickly is that what's happening is AT&T, Verizon, and other carriers are saying this is costing us too much to keep up. They don't want to keep up the, the maintenance of it, of the upgrades of it, et cetera. And they're trying to go over to fiber optic cables or traditional cell towers wireless. The problem is that they don't have the infrastructure built out for either. It's kind of like I, I kind of equate it to the electric vehicles. So they want everybody to switch to electric vehicles, but there are no chargers anywhere. And that's the problem is they want everybody to switch over to wireless, but there's no cell towers out there. And the big issue is, again, they don't have the, the infrastructure built out. The bigger issue for people who have landlines and depend upon them is that especially if you're in a rural area or older or lower income and you don't have that availability to wireless service, you're going to lose the connectivity for communications, for 911 service, for just general emergency services if uh, if you get hit by a hurricane, a tornado, something of that nature. And people rely upon this. As you mentioned, California is implementing this to try to get rid of these landlines. And But this is going to go across the United States. It's not just in California. This is going to be a progression over the next two to three years that people are going to lose these landlines. <laughs> you know, Hugh, hey, welcome back to the show. Yeah, Hesher and I were talking about it off air. And the first thing that came into my mind, which kind of tells you a little bit about me, was uh, a, an electromagnetic pulse attack. If what, if what if there was an EMP-like attack that took out satellites, and now all of a sudden we don't have any connectivity because we have no way of connecting? Landlines would still be there. They would still be there, I would think. But this is, and, and there's more to it than that, but my point is that it seems like they're just kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We've already got all of this infrastructure. Are they basically just saying in California, we want to rip it down so you have... Uh, you know, so you don't have to look at the ugly telephone poles. I mean, what's, you know, w with the green energy movement, they can always point to climate change, which I think is bunk, but that's what they point to. That's, that's, that's their excuse. We've got to get rid of fossil fuel, blah, 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 blah. What's their excuse for this? Just the, the cost, the expense, that's it. Well, twofold, as, as you just mentioned, it's the cost. It's a heavy cost to upkeep it, these copper landlines, but here's the bigger ticket. They don't make money off of them. And if they can get people using wireless service or voiceover service, they can make more money. They can provide more services. This comes down to easy return on investment. That's why if you go out to rural America, there's such a digital divide. The, the carriers don't want to spend the money to build out the infrastructure, cell towers, et cetera, because they don't have enough people out there. They can't sell enough product to get the return on investment. Now they have landlines out there. They're getting almost no return on investment. They're the, the maintenance cost is over what the cost is. They're, or sorry, the, the revenue they're getting. So they're saying, hey, let's ditch this. Let's try to get them to move away from these landlines. But you're exactly right on your first point. This is a very necessary way of communications. It is easy, simple. It's pick up the phone. When we have a emergency, you think about all the people going trying to ping off a cell tower. Those things go down. They get hit by the, the emergency as well, an earthquake, a hurricane, et cetera. So these landlines are vital. So much of just general security systems are tied into landlines because of the dependability of them. So they're kind of, as you mentioned, they're just getting rid of things, but they don't have a pathway to replace it. That's the bigger issue. And they don't want to spend the money to replace it either. 
Are, are, are these companies short on money? I mean, I, I understand the ROI factor. That's definitely, uh, you know, I guess it may outweigh <laughs> other things in the boardroom when these sort of decisions are made. But I mean, these are huge Fortune 100 companies. I would think that, you know, uh, with all the virtue signaling that I see them do on their social media accounts from a corporate level, they would not want, um, you know, old older senior citizens in rural areas uh, having no means to communicate. Like what happens when the power goes out? The power goes out in California as soon as the wind blows or a raindrop falls. Sometimes, I mean, where my dad was living, it was out for 15 to 18 days sometimes. How do those, how are those people to communicate to their families, you know, how they're weathering a storm, for example? Well, it's twofold, as I mentioned before. There's not a good return on investment because they don't want to keep these landlines. But again, they don't want to spend the money. They don't want to pay property owners. We represent property owners in rural areas across the country. And when they want to build a cell tower out there, we have thousands of people contact us every month saying, I don't have good service. I can't pick up my phone and, and get a connection out of my house. And But the the cell tower companies and the wireless carriers don't want to build out there because they can't make enough money. They don't want to pay the property owner any money, but those sites are valuable because they need to provide those emergency services. So it's a situation by which it comes down to the bottom line and, and rural America is getting left behind. And this is, as I mentioned before, the divide between rural America and urban America is growing farther and farther with regards to the availability of services. And as the internet grows and as AI grows and you don't have access you may be the greatest thing in the world, but you can't get to it. And that's what's happening in, in rural America, especially in lower income people who live there. Yeah, it's really kind of, it's. It, it's I mean, it, this is a kind of a, uh, a, a just a, a, a blueprint of greed. It sounds like you've got it. You've got companies that don't want to invest in the upkeep and maintenance of, uh, of landlines. And those same companies don't want to invest in the, in, in the towers because there's not enough of a customer base out there. So the attitude in the boardrooms uh, boardrooms seems to be screw them. Uh, that's what I'm getting. Well, yeah, it's 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 a bottom line. It's just a bottom line uh, methodology. Now, one thing the the Biden administration put in a program when he started off this affordability connectivity program that helped reduce the cost of connectivity to internet, etc. The problem is it's about to run out of money. So you have 23 million Americans who are about to lose their internet asset, access across the United States, mostly, mostly again, rural areas, lower income areas. So we have a situation by which we're not only pulling the, pulling the services, pulling the infrastructure, these people can't even afford it even if it was available. So because they're charging so much for the, for the connectivity when they get out there. So it's, it's becoming a really big problem, which goes, uh, goes overlooked. And people all across the United States are getting, again, the short end of the stick with regards to these services. Communications is our fourth utility besides, you know, your air, water, and, and electricity. You have to get that out there to people and they're not getting it. You know, Hugh, it occurs to me also that these copper wires that we're talking about, uh, that's the internet for most of these people in rural areas. They're still on DSL, uh, kids. There's something called DSL. It's internet over copper wires. Imagine that. Um, that's how we all got started with this. And to me, that's a huge one because, I mean, I'm picturing a retired senior citizen who lives in a bandwidth deprived area. They've got these old AT&T copper wires going out to their house that's serving their DSL and their landline. So it's like that person, and you mentioned the numbers, that's a lot of people. And uh, there's a percentage of those people that are gonna lose internet 
and telephone, and they may rely on internet to be able to pay their bills and do a lot of their communications via instant messaging, Skype, Zoom, whatever. You're exactly right. You go from everything from education to business to telehealth, health services, et cetera, that are being transitioned over to internet services. You think about that. And as you grow farther and farther apart from being having the availability to access the internet or just the phone system or whatever, you, there's going to be so many people left behind because of where they live. And that's really, again, we go back to what we were saying earlier, this becomes a business decision for people. And it really isn't. If I said to, if I said to somebody, I said, look, you can't have utilities, you can't have power out to your house, you can't have water out to your house because you live too far out. They, you'd say, this community can't have those services because we don't think it returns enough investment. There'd be an uproar. But when you have people out there that can't access the internet, can't access emergency services, have to rely upon rely upon technology that either is sub substandard or not there at all. That that is a huge problem. Yeah, and it's a problem that's not really getting any uh, closer to a fix. It sounds like you because uh, I mean you're talking about internet service. Goodness gracious, there's so many streaming platforms and all of this that are just going to be completely lost to to millions of people because they don't have access to it anymore. I'm wondering, when do you think that, let, let's try and put a hopeful spin on this. Do you think that anybody is going to kind of come to the rescue and say, look, here's what we need to do. We need to take care of these rural communities. We need to take care of some of these urban communities uh, in low-income areas, and we need to do that. Is there any hope for this, or do you think it's just going to turn into a big cluster cluck before, before anybody addresses it? I did an interview in 2021, right after President Biden was inaugurated. And one of his big things was build out infrastructure, build out internet. Here we are three years later, and I would tell you that can is just kicked down the road farther and farther and farther. And there's no sizable um, method of solving this problem out there. There's nothing that's been addressed to the standard where you're seeing a huge narrowing of that gap. So. I hate to say, I don't see unless there's really an a, a, a uprising of pushing this down the road, this is just going to get kicked down the road again. And, and so much Hugh, for being there, hopeful. Yeah. Well, maybe, I, be honest. Here's, here, here's something. Maybe is there another corporate entity that could come along and say, hey, AT&T, we'd like to lease these lines and upkeep them. You know, we'll service these people. Maybe the bill will be a little bit higher. I mean, is there a potential like that in, in our last minute and a half or so? Sure. I, I don't think that's available because the cost to transition would take a small company or small companies. It wouldn't be viable for them. I think my solution on this, or just my opinion, is you really need a cooperation. You need government involvement. You need private involvement from the larger companies. But here's what you need. You need to allow local wireless carriers to be able to develop and serve local communities. That will be build up the infrastructure, cell towers, et cetera, and serve local communities. Right now you have three large carriers and they basically are the Goliaths that put put that over the top. Yeah, hmm. yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this just, we, we just can't let this go down this way. I mean, I don't know, I hate to leave this story this way, but I mean, I'm glad we got to get it out here and talk about it and let people know, you know, because a, a lot of us have 
relatives that live in these rural areas and stuff like that. So uh, there has to be a solution here. Or is this just one of those things that's going to be a technocratic boot driving people into the smart cities? So uh, we're going to keep having you back on to discuss this one, Hugh. We really appreciate your expertise. Vertical Consultants is where you find Hugh. And of course, right here at State of the Nation. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you. All right. This is State of the Nation. Stay tuned. We got more for you right here at today's News Talk TNT.